0: Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Judge Robert Bacharach. Robert graduated from Washington University School of Law and worked for Oklahoma firm Crow and Dunleavy, practicing commercial litigation. He has worked as a federal magistrate judge for the United States District Courts for the Western District of Oklahoma. In 2013, Bob was appointed as the judge of the United States Court of Appeal for the 10th Circuit after his nomination from President Barack Obama. Bob recently published his book, Legal Writing A Judge's Perspective on Science and Rhetoric of the Written Word. So, a very warm welcome, Bob. Well, Rob, thank you so much. And I'm so delighted to be with you and your listeners at Legally Speaking. Uh, it's our absolute pleasure. And before we dive into all your amazing achievements, we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is, on the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality?
1: <laughs> I am so embarrassed
0: to tell you that I have never seen Suits. So, I, <laughs> so I, I, I'm i going to pluck that. I think based on that, we'll have a zero and we'll move on. <laughs> okay. so, so, Bob, let's start at the beginning. Do you mind telling us a bit about your family background and career journey? Where did your interest in the law start? It started uh, when I was about 14 years old. I was uh,
1: I was totally obsessed as a teenager in high school with debate. I just loved it. And I decided at that point that I uh, really had an interest in reading books of famous lawyers. And there was a lawyer that uh, you and a lot of your listeners are going to be too young to remember. He dis- he died about a year ago. F. Lee Bailey, and he represented when I was a kid every famous defendant in criminal cases that got accused of a crime, and I just ate him up. He ended up representing one of the uh, lawyers on the Dream Team representing O.J. Simpson, and he represented Patty Hearst, he represented the Boston Strangler, and I decided from about 14 years old that I was gonna be a lawyer. I'm 62 now, and I never looked back. I just always knew that that's what I wanted
0: to, uh, to do. And what a successful career you've had. And, you know, from the age of 14 to what you've achieved to present day is phenomenal. But, Bob, in 2013, you were appointed as judge of the United States, Courts of Appeal for the Tenth Circuit. What has been your experience? It's
1: been amazing. Um, I uh, I loved being a magistrate judge, and uh, I have loved literally every day of uh, of my service on the Court of Appeals. It's been a little shy of nine years. Every day is just exciting. Um, and uh, I've got wonderful colleagues. I work with the brightest and just most lovely Young people, and uh, so if I if you put a gun to my head and said, Bob, is there something about your job that you just hate? I'd have to say, Rob, I'm sorry, just shoot me because it's just (laughs) it's. I I tell my colleagues, I tell my clerks, you know, I feel somewhat guilty in getting paid to do this because I'm pretty sure if I had the money, I would pay to do this. It's just it's just a wonderful privilege that I have.
0: And what a beautiful story, the fact that, you know, a little boy, 14 year old is following their passion true to this day. And, you know, it's so rare nowadays that people really get to pursue their passions and happiness in their career. So I'm so pleased that you can articulate that and I can just hear it in your your voice that you are passionate and, you know, found a real purpose in a a career. And that segues quite nicely, because as a judge, what do you find most persuasive? You know, are there actions or behaviours which repulse you in your role of as a Judge? Absolutely, uh, Rob. One of the things that
1: in our day to day communication, if we think about our significant others, uh, our buddies, uh, when we communicate, we have to think about who we are communicating with, whether it's your loved ones or friends. You have to think about how they will perceive your words, your actions. And so when you're a lawyer, either briefing or presenting oral argument to myself or another judge, it's important to think about how how we are gonna react to your written or oral communications. And from our perspective, what is it that we hope to accomplish? And every judge shares exactly the same agenda, and that is to get the decision correct, the legal analysis correct, and that is 99.9% of what we hope to do. And so when you're presenting an argument to us, think about how it's gonna help us make a legally correct, legally uh, 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 and analytically sound decision. And if uh, if, if it's extraneous to that, then it's gonna be a hindrance and not a help.
0: Yeah, and I think you've articulated that so well. And you know, Bob, you have done so much and you've seen so much. And what's amazing, you have recently published your book. So I'm delighted to say Legal Writing: A Judge's Perspective on the Science and Rhetoric of the Written Word. What were your motivations for writing this? Honestly, it was
1: um it was to get better at what I do as a as a federal judge, particularly with the Court of Appeals. My work consists ninety nine percent of the time of writing, editing, and then when I get through with that, writing and editing some more. <laughs> and so and, and so one of the things that uh, is a little different about this judicial position as opposed to my previous judicial position is that uh, more people are going to look to my words, not just the parties, to see how their decision is. Is issued and and what will be the outcome in their particular case. But other parties, other lawyers will look to my words to see how the precedents will affect uh, cases in completely unforeseeable contexts. And so my words have taken on uh, uh, an, an added dimension of significance. And so, really, when I became a circuit judge, I really wanted to think about the way that I communicate, particularly in writing, in new ways, uh, to try to improve the clarity of my communication, to try to make it uh, more obvious to the parties about why I made a correct uh, I mean why I made a decision. whether it's correct or incorrect, I'm a fallible human being and I'm going to make mistakes. But one of the things that I want the parties to understand is why did I make a decision? Uh, why did I rule for them? Why did I rule against them? And so what I decided to do was, I've always loved legal writing. I've always loved reading. uh, There are many, many wonderful books about legal writing. But one of the things, Rob, that I really set out to do was to try to force myself to think about legal writing in ways that I had never done before. I was in my mid-50s when I started writing the book. I had written as a lawyer, as a judge for many, many years. But I decided to study oratory to see how the wonderful orators of our history, um, uh, there in the UK, people like Winston Churchill or in the the United States, people like FDR, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr. How did these orators communicate? Part of it was their skill in, in in being just wonderful speakers, but part of it was the content and how they put together the content. And then I also wanted to look at how do those psychologists, they call themselves psycholinguists, who devote their careers to studying how the brain processes language, what is it that we can draw from, from their disciplines, from their empirical studies that might be able to be translated into the way we communicate in our own, commun- in, in our own uh, uh, written, uh, written language.
0: Yeah, and thank you so much again for, for, for sharing that, Bob. And, you know, it's, it's an awesome read, it has to be said. But in terms of sort of messages from this, you know, what do you want your book to really convey? Why did you choose to combine cognitive science with literature?
1: One of the things that I thought was important is that there's hundreds and hundreds of wonderful, wonderful legal writing books. But one of the things that I thought is missing, and really all of them, uh, some more than others, is that oftentimes we will rest on our intuition about, uh, how certain things will impact our readers. For example, many of the legal writing books will say, you know, keep your subject and verb together, or the verb and object, you know, together, or uh, don't end a sentence in a preposition. What is it about these intuitive lessons? Um, why do people say that? Why do people say, keep your sentences short? Why do people say, uh, use topic sentences? Uh or paragraphs, uh, you know, being relatively brief, and I and I what I wanted to do was to test these sort of intuitive lessons that 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 really populate most or all of the legal writing books, and see do these really bear up uh, bear uh, uh, under scrutiny uh, of those scientists that are empirically studying these uh, types of of intuitive instructions and to see if they really bear out uh, scientific corroboration or not. And so that's really what I hoped uh, to do, Rob.
0: Yeah, and, and did a tremendous job, it has to be said. And in the book, you draw on examples from many famous speakers, um, the likes of Martin Luther Jr. King, Franklin D. Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy, you know, many, many others. Why did you choose these particular historical figures and what can we learn from these orators about the way we write?
1: One of the things, for example, that I I, I hope is not the, the, the lesson... In this uh, in this book is that when we take these unbelievable orators, that this is beyond the ken of the rest of us. My hope was precisely the opposite. If you look at some of the wonderful speeches that JFK, Churchill, FDR made, you will see things that all of us could duplicate. Uh, in in our own way, in our own voice, in our own style. And for example, um, one of the things that I think that sets some of these orators apart is they have inherent credibility. You know, if I were to pick speeches that I think may be marvelous from, uh, you know, I'll just say uh, Joe Schlamazel, you know, I'm going to make <laughs> up a name. Um, you know, it's really not going to have the impact of saying, this is from FDR's first inaugural address or JFK's speech in the, at, the, at the Berlin Wall. You know, these are speeches that most of us uh, of a particular age maybe remember or have certainly read about, and they have inherent credibility. And so one of the things that I uh, I, I chose those kinds of speeches is because they're, they're built-in credibility and just try to see from those particular speeches – what is it that we can that that we can apply? Steal those ideas and apply in our own uh, in our own communication. And I should say, Rob, that I hope it's something that transcends legal writing. You know, if we're writing a letter to a friend or writing an essay, writing an academic piece, that I do think that a lot of these lessons from these wonderful orators are lessons that we can apply really whether it's legal or not legal or fiction or you know whatever the case may be
0: I completely agree and just fascinating listening to you I'm just loving the the conversation and just soaking it all up Bob you are a fountain of knowledge and wisdom and we're just loving you being part of the show time for a quick break from the show are you a legal aid practitioner in England and Wales specializing in civil or criminal legal aid matters if you are this message is for you As a legal aid solicitor, you don't have time to waste on legal aid case management software that doesn't work to your needs. That's why Clio has developed a quicker, more accurate and affordable solution for legal aid solicitors in England and Wales. It could save you hours in your month, particularly when it comes to end of month invoicing and claims to the legal aid agency. To see how it all works, visit clio.com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. That's Clio, C L I O forward slash UK forward slash Legal Aid. Now back to the show. You also focus on uh, psycholinguistics, uh, the study of how the brain processes language. Why do you believe we can improve our writing by drawing upon the lessons from psycholinguistics?
1: Because these are the people that are really scientifically studying, uh, not legal writing, but they are studying how we process language, how quickly we read certain types of uh, sentences, pairs of sentences. And uh, what I wanted to do was to see, are these lessons that we can actually apply. And if I can give you a rather mundane example, one of the things that, that book after book after book of legal writing says is try to put old or familiar information before new information. Well, there were these two psycholinguists named Justin Carpenter, and I'm uh, going to give you one little example. They tested uh, a, a number of readers and they gave them two very simple sentence pairs. Okay, so number one, it was dark and stormy the night the millionaire died. The killer left no clues for the police to trace. Okay, and so what they did was they gave them eye-tracking devices, they tested for reading speed and tested for comprehension afterward. Then then they gave these uh, similarly constituted group a somewhat different pair of sentences. It was dark and stormy the night the millionaire not died, but was murdered. The killer left no clues for the police to trace. What they found, Rob, was that readers read the second pair of sentences more quickly and accurately than the first. And then as scientists, because that's what they are, they said, why? All we did was tinker with the end of the sentence, died versus murdered. And the reason that they gave was, when you get to the word killer in the second sentence, when you read that the millionaire died, if you think about it, if we had a loved one that just died of leukemia or cancer or heart disease, that's what we think. The millionaire died maybe of leukemia, heart disease, cancer. And so when we get to the word killer, we think, what? Why, did they, why was there reference to a killer? And when they read the second pair of sentences and see that the millionaire was murdered, there's no, we're not jarred. We know that there's a killer. We know that there's a murderer. And it's just that slight tinkering in language. And so I thought, you know, this is a way that we can think about how we put information together to avoid jarring readers And Justin Carpenter didn't know the slightest thing about legal writing, but they knew how the brain processes language. And I just think that that's the kind of thing that if we we look at the way these psycholinguists have drawn on language, have drawn on how our brains processes it, I just think that it's a minefield of information that we will just it really expand the way we creatively think about how we put together language.
0: Wow. Bob, we have had celebrities, thought leaders, top entrepreneurs, you name it on the show, but I'm sat here just... Amazed and mesmerized by what you've just said because it's it's phenomenal. You you know, you really think about that one word and the impact that has on the overall message. And I can completely understand. So thank you so much for sharing this. I'm quite sure that's probably going to be one of our highlight bits of your particular show because that was some real, real golden knowledge you shared with us there. Really appreciate that. And then, talking of knowledge, you know, Yale Law School, that little known law school lecturer Robert Harrison reviewed your book, stating, whether you are a lawyer, judge, legal scholar, or even law student, this book will show you how to write more clearly, succinctly, gracefully, and powerfully. So Bob, when you were writing your book, did you plan to target a specific audience?
1: Well, I really didn't. Um, You know, what I I really uh, thought was that whether you're a law student, whether a young lawyer, whether you're a an old guy lawyer like me, you know, at 62, that one of the things that virtually every lawyer does is write some more than others. And I thought that whether you're a law student or an old lawyer or a judge, the common denominator is that we all write a lot and we try to improve the way that we write and so what I was really hoping was that it would be attractive to law students and young lawyers and old lawyers and judges, and uh, and, and and even people, you know, maybe that that never wanted to be a lawyer like me, and 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 uh, and and do completely different things. But so I was really hoping to to you know to attract a broad audience.
0: And you've done a tremendous job of most definitely doing that. It has to be said, Bob. And, you know, what piece of advice do you wish you had known about writing that you can now share with our listeners?
1: The one thing that I would say off the top of my head, Rob, is the importance of clarity. The importance of clarity. One of the things that judges do is we read a lot a lot, um, brief after brief, and then when we are studying the cases, then we read a lot of the precedents, um, and, and and so that's the life of most judges. Um, and so when you read a lot, one of the things that will enhance your ability to persuade me is if I use my limited brain cells to 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 understand what you're saying without having to reread maybe the previous sentence or the previous paragraph, then you stand uh, ahead of the game in trying to persuade me. Because if I'm st- struggling to understand maybe the, what you're saying or the logic of your argument, if it's a long brief and you've littered it with a lot of procedural details or factual details that maybe paint the other party in a terrible light. It may make you, you know, feel emotionally better, you know, venting your venting, uh, your soul like that. But one of the things that it's going to inhibit me is putting together the logical progression of your argument. Because at the end of the day, what you want a judge to say is, if they, if you, if you persuade the judge to want to, to rule in your favor, is what is the legal what is the logical progression from a to z for me to find in favor of rob's position and if you if you if you make your principal objective to make every sentence as clear as possible the progression of your argument as as transparent as possible i think that that one goal will absolutely trump every other goal in legal writing the importance of clarity
0: yes and and said so so clearly and directly as well bob it has to be said and a mentee of mine sent me the book many years ago good to great by jim collins which i think is a fascinating read so in your opinion you know what's the difference between a good and a great judge
1: well um, but I think a great judge is someone who does not think of themselves as great. Um, you know, we all are fallible human beings i um I am as fallible as anybody else. and one of the things that can inhibit my me as a judge is um, is to start thinking of myself in in a in, a, in an in an in, a, in an arrogant way because arrogance will inhibit your ability to listen, to improve yourself. And so one of the things that the greatest judges, um, I won't mention names because I don't want to leave anybody out, but I work with a lot of great judges. Um, and and one of the things that, the, that they're all different personalities, but one of the common denominators is that I'm, I guarantee you that none of them think of themselves as great judges. They think of themselves as fallible human beings. They will listen to me, whether I, I uh, am full of hogwash, and you know, I'm fallible, and so sometimes I do. I think I've got great ideas, and then I think about it later, and I think that's really a stupid idea. <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I ever had that idea. But we try to think about that it, the decisions are not about us. They're about the parties. And 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 that i think is what sets great judges apart from others is when they uh, always always keep in mind that the that the decisions are not about us they're about the parties we have and every single one of us are judges for one reason only a bunch of luck uh, there's not a federal judge in the united states maybe in, uh, uh, judges in the uk that's not there because of a lots and lots of luck. I'm Exhibit A for that, but 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 that's what's really important, I think. And uh, I, I was fortunate to uh, work uh, about 40 years ago for one of the kindest human beings. His name was Judge William Holloway Jr. Our courthouse is named after him. He's just he was a he's deceased now. He died about seven or eight years ago. And he was just the most humble human being, uh, along with my dad and 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 I just learned it from Judge Holloway, and it, and he embodied that and and so that's what I regard as great judges as judges that really don't think of themselves in that way at all.
0: What a wonderful share. Bob and I, I just love the the authenticity and you know the humble nature of your your good self and you just you know emulate everything that you've just said and you know you you showed some some openness there that I really sort of admired. You mentioned luck, but I, you do earn your luck, and I know you've worked immensely hard and done so so been so successful. But you know careers are never straightforward. You have ups and downs. You have setbacks. What advice would you give you know to aspiring lawyers looking to break into the industry? maybe in people midway through their legal careers who are facing setbacks right now. How did you handle setbacks in your career? And what would you say to people maybe at the start, middle, and maybe looking towards the end of their journey that might be facing some adversity right now? It's, you're, and you're
1: going to face adversity. You're going to have self-doubt. Why? Because you're a human being, and there's not a human being on the planet or that's ever walked the planet that hasn't experienced self-doubt, hasn't made terrible mistakes. You're gonna make mistakes. That's one thing that I didn't know that when I was a baby lawyer is Bob. No matter how much you work, you're gonna make mistakes. And the more tired you are, because you're staying up around the clock, you know, trying to do your best, then you're more gonna be, be gonna uh, gonna be even more prone to make mistakes. And so realize you're gonna do that. You're gonna make mistakes like every other human being and realize that the that what that does is a golden opportunity to learn from your mistakes. And if we learn from our mistakes, we might make it again, but we make it two or three times and then we're probably not gonna make that same mistake. We we'll might make others, but learn from those mistakes. And then the second thing I would say is, in addition to recognizing your own fallibility, is to get good mentors. Um, now I was blessed. I, I mentioned one of my uh, most memorable, uh, wonderful mentors. Well, he was a mentor not only in the law, and he was—I I worked for him, so he was a great judge, but he was a great human being, um, and so I learned. How to be a how to be a, a human being, more so than even being a lawyer uh, you know from him. So pick good role models. You can pick role models that are uh, great lawyers and lousy human beings. and I would say the lousy human being trumps out. Don't be a lousy human being and, and a great lawyer. Strive for trying to find uh, role models that you really do want to emulate. You want to you want to follow in their footsteps in in how to be a human being and oh by the way in how to practice law. confidants that you know when you when you are faced with pressures from clients maybe to do things that you just don't think are right, you know, you think are just maybe a little bit too aggressive or maybe even deceptive Find those kinds of role models that have done this before that you can bounce these things off of, and and uh, and if it's a little law firm, you might have opportunities from other lawyers. But if you're a young a solo practitioner who's hung up your own shingle, call your bar association, call up uh, an ends of court, call up. Uh, you know, one of the uh, in- industrial bar associations, like the Federal Bar Association or the American Bar Association, and try to find good mentors. And I just think that's so, so important.
0: Um- could not agree with you more bob and thank you so much for for sharing that my my grandfather was one of my greatest mentors and he ran his own successful law firm over here in the united kingdom and i asked him questions all the time and it just reminds me of some of the things he'd say to me you know a person who never made a mistake never existed you know people don't care what you do for them but it's how you make them feel and wealth will always whisper remain humble and grateful for the good things in life and i think you know you just emulate so many of the things that one of my Greatest mentors taught me, and what you you shared there, Bob. And I guess that finally leads me on to, you know, where people can soak up all of this knowledge. So, where can people go to, to buy your book? And was there anything special you wanted to give our listeners today? Well, there is a
1: there is a discount code. I think uh, that you all, uh, uh, you know, I don't. It's the federal, uh, it's the uh, American Bar Association Press and they on their website. You can call the, uh, 800 number or, uh, do it through the web and that they do offer, uh, a, I don't want to sound like a commercial, uh, <laughs> uh my book, but it's, uh, they have a discount code that will allow any, any listener to purchase it at a 20% discount, uh, through the 31st of August, 2022. And, uh, course, if someone's a member of the American Bar Association, they offer d- other discounts. But you know, off the top, they offer for both e-books and print books, uh, a 20% discount through the 31st of August. But it's through the uh, ABA, the American Bar Association Press
0: uh, website. And, and that's so, so kind of you, Bob, to, to do that for our, our, our listeners. And, and Bob's book is The Legal Writing, A Judge's Perspective on the Science and Rhetoric of the Written Word. And they use the discount code LGLF. B-R-A. You might just want to pause that and rewind if you're listening to this particular episode and pop that in and visit that website. I mean, Bob, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. If people want to follow or get in touch with you about anything we discussed today, what's the best way for them to contact you? Feel free to shout out any particular web links or social media handles, and we will also be sure to share them with this episode for you too.
1: Well, I'm embarrassed to say I don't have any any of those things. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm the last human being without uh, Facebook or or, or Twitter. Uh, so I don't have any of those any of those things. But uh, but if, if people would like to uh, call me or email me, I'd just be delighted.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what a refreshing world that would have been back then. Now with all the uh, the digital noise that is out there. But Bob, it has been an absolute pleasure once again having you on the show i've just been starstruck throughout our conversation i feel like i've been through a mastermind and wealth of knowledge in a short period of time but we'd like to wish you lots of continued success with your future pursuits and of course with the book but from all of us on the legally speaking podcast over and out this week's review comes from stylish in the city 23 Educate, entertain, and inspired, five stars. Rob has done an amazing job of educating, entertaining, and inspiring his audience. Rob is not only a dynamic podcast host, but also a captivating guest. I've had the pleasure of having Rob as a guest on my podcast, Mesmerizing Marketing, multiple times. Rob goes the extra mile to provide value to his audience. Highly recommend the Legally Speaking podcast. Thank you so, so much to Stylish in the City 23 for your lovely, kind review. From all of us on the show, we appreciate you.